Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Trevor Searle. Welcome to the podcast, Trevor. Thank you, Richard. Um, Trevor has just come from work at Intermountain at IMC. That stands for? Intermountain Medical Center. In Murray, Utah. And tell our listeners, just by way of introduction, what you do. So I am a nurse um, in the thoracic intensive care unit. I um, work mostly with patients who are post-op heart surgeries um, or vascular surgeries or lung surgeries, anything that opens up the chest. That's my specialty (laughs) right now. I just started this job back in May, um, so I'm still fairly new at it. I've been a nurse for about a year and a half now. Uh, The job before that was working on the cardiac progressive care unit down at Utah Valley. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's an intense job right now. The one that I'm in currently, it, it really, 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 really requires a lot of education and, uh, I'm constantly learning every single day in my job. Thank you for what you're doing. That's serving other people, Trevor. And who knows one day, maybe I'll be one of your patients. I hope not, but (laughs) thanks for all you're doing. And for our listeners, I'll just give an overview. Trevor Searle is in his late twenties. He's a return missionary from, served in Washington, D.C. North. He spoke French. Um, he has two younger brothers. Trevor is gay. Trevor um, went into a marriage with a woman and talked before marriage about his same-sex attraction and, and tried to make that go, but that ended up ending in divorce recently. Trevor has two little kids. And I became aware of Trevor's story through um, a mutual friend, Don Olson. Don Brother and Sister Olson were the visitor center director at the Washington D.C. Temple in your mission, and um, you were one of the missionaries. Yes. Um, tell us how you feel about Brother and Sister Olson. How oh, Brother and Sister Olson are some of the most spiritually guided, uplifting, honest people I've ever met in my life. They um, going to their the visitor center while they were the directors was a, always a treat. Um, Anytime that they had a VC fireside or one of the events that we would go to, if Don Olson was the one that was presiding, you knew it was going to be a very spiritually uplifting experience. So thank you, brother and sister Olson, for your service in our church, in our community, and and your love of Elder Searle and his service and helping me be aware of your good, of this good missionary. Um We've done a lot of podcasts of couples in mixed orientation marriages. Um, All of those are where those marriages are working. Every one of those marriages would say this is difficult. Every one of those podcast guests are not inviting others to follow their path because they recognize it's a difficult path. And I've learned to to want those marriages to succeed, but not invite others down that road. But also some of those marriages, like any marriage, ends in divorce. And that's just the realities. And and Trevor's did end in divorce. So someone would say, well, why do a podcast with Trevor? And it's important. I think um, when any marriage ends, we are sad. But I think it's easy to point fingers and maybe find a villain. And I think as I mature, um, I just try not to do that. I don't have all the insights. And I just leave judgment to Heavenly Father. And then I want to be able to see both members of that marriage move forward as best they can. And if they're kids to have the best environment for those kids. And um, Trevor in August of 2018 at the lowest of lows, wondering 
you know, how he was going to walk this road as a gay Latter-day Saint in a mixed orientation marriage came very close to ending it all. And we're going to talk about that in American Fort Canyon on a tall cliff. And I just think of, you know, the two options that Trevor's kids have. One is a dad or a marriage that's ended, but a dad that's in their lives and alive or a dad who died by suicide on that cliff. And so I, if we go down that road, then we probably say, well, this is better outcome and we should just be glad Trevor's alive and recognize the very difficult road Trevor's been walking and his desire to always do the right thing, but how difficult that can be for a gay Latter-day Saint. I'm so glad these kids have you in your life. Tell us about your kids, Trevor. Uh, so I've got, so I've got a daughter and a son. Uh, daughter is almost three. She'll be three in November. And my son is 16 months old, just started walking a few months ago. Um, they are my world. I love them to death. I, I really enjoy my weekends and my Wednesdays with them. Um, they really brighten my life, and I, I, I couldn't imagine my life without them. Um, it'd be great just to imagine them in their 20s and 30s if they could talk about you um, and all the lessons they've learned from you as their dad, um, as you see your grandchildren. And um, I'm just so glad that you chose to live, and I share that. And this purpose, this podcast is partly to invite others to not choose to die by suicide um, and to be able to have the courage to try to live for one more day and to sort of see the big picture of all the other people that rely on you and love you and how their lives would be forever different, even though you may just be full of pain and, and the pain being so oppressive that you think, how can I live another day? And Trevor chose to live another day. And for that, I'm grateful he's here. I'm grateful for the patients that have Trevor in his life. Tell us about an African patient in particular you're able to connect with in the ICU. Yeah, so I had one patient um, from Central Africa who um, she we didn't have a translator for in the hospital. Um, and her son spoke French, so I was able to communicate with him in French. Um, but... She was just, she, she was very scared. I mean, imagine being in a different country, you don't speak the language and they're inserting tubes and needles and all sorts of things into your body. And you just have to trust that what they're doing is um, the right thing um, without, without even knowing what's, I mean, they, there is no way that we could have explained to her what was going on, but because of my mission and the experiences that I had there, I was able to, I understood a little bit more of the African culture, what they enjoy, their mannerisms. Um, and they, I know how in those hard moments, as in our culture too, it's really important for someone to be close, to hold their hand, look them in the eye and just smile. And so I did that um, for this patient and she had to be reintubated for the third time. <laughs> and um, she was scared out of her mind. Just absolutely scared. I could see it in her eyes. And I sat there and I held her hand. Um, didn't want to hug or anything. Just wanted me to hold her hand and look her in the eyes and smile and let her know that it, it just tell her with my eyes that everything was going to be okay. Um, held her hand for a good two to three hours <laughs> that night. And before, but while she was intubated and then we got her sedated. Um, and I just, I just looked into her eyes. And after that experience, I was just like, I was so grateful that I was there to be able to do that with her. Um, I, I know my past experiences really helped in that situation. 
What in you, when did you decide you wanted to choose a career that was going to be serving other people? Um, well, it started, so I got two degrees in college. I got a degree in biotechnology and a bachelor's in biotechnology and a bachelor's at nursing in UVU. Uh, while I was pursuing my, my bachelor's in biotechnology, I got a job as a certified nursing assistant. I originally planned on going to medical school. I'm going to be honest here. It was for the money. <laughs> That's honest. Uh, but, um, I, and my mom was like, get a job in the medical field. See if it's really for you. I got a job as a certified nursing assistant at a place called Stonehenge of Orem. Met some of the nurses there and became in love with the profession. They were very caring, very involved. Um, whereas I saw the doctors come in, they would be in there for five minutes and granted, their job is very hard. I I can't imagine the stresses that doctors go through. But they would go in there. They'd be in there for five minutes. Didn't really necessarily need a good bedside manner um, because they would just write their prescriptions and then go to the next room and do the exact same thing. Whereas the nurse, you're stick. You're by their side. You're the one that comforts them. The one that really tends to every single one of their needs, not just pills or treatments. You're you're tending to everything. And I fell in love with that idea that I would be the one, I'd be the one that they look up to when everything, when everything's going wrong, I'm the one that they look to for answers. Um, and so I began, so I went and got my bachelor's in nursing. And I hope our listeners, I wish you could see Trevor's face cause it's just full of joy when he talks about here's somebody that loves to do what he does. Um, I think you're on long shifts, 12 hours. 13 hours. And you're just coming off a 13 hour shift. I am just recording. coming off of a 13 hour shift. I don't shift. have any caffeine for you and it's <laughs> late at night. Um, but I can tell in your eyes just how much you love this and thank you for what you're doing. And I just recognize that our world would be worth off without you. And I know you know that, but it was probably hard to see that in American Fort Canyon on that really dark day. Um, I know you came out to a lot of bishops and a lot of church leaders. Um, you're in your mid-20s now, and I think you started to come out in your teens. Mm-hmm. High school. Um, what advice would you have for bishops? Um, as I interview people, some of those conversations are pretty painful because our church leaders, just like me, didn't have the tools to to help our LGBTQ members. And I don't mean I didn't have the tools to, like, create new doctrine, but just within our doctrine, I sometimes added to the burdens or potentially did any thoughts on what we can do better advice you have for local leaders. Yeah. So I, like you said, I did, I met with a lot of bishops and state presidents. Um, and each one of them had a different personality that they were working with. Um, the very first bishop that I came out to, um, I'm going to go out and just say he probably didn't do it completely right. He was very loving, very loving. I respect the man very much. Um, And he did the best that he could with the knowledge that he had and the perspective that he had um, at the time. Um, So when I went up to him, this was my first time ever coming out. I I hadn't even mentioned to anybody that I had same-sex attraction. Yeah, this was my first time. I I actually went to the first counselor first. And, uh, I, I said, I don't know if I can go to the temple and do baptism for the dead because I, I have same sex attraction. 
And the first counselor looked at me and said, well, that's an issue for the bishop. <laughs> I bet he loves saying that. He's like, I don't want to get involved. <laughs> so I went to the bishop and I talked to him and I uh, mentioned that I had same-sex attraction and was trying to deal with it. Um, I found myself specifically attracted to one individual at my high school and I was trying to cope with that because I kept telling myself, no, this is wrong. No, this is evil. Um, and so I went to this bishop and he told me, um, he said, now, Trevor, you know what the prophets and the apostles have said about same-sex attraction. You know what they've said about homosexuality. Um, and if you don't know what they've said, here are some resources. And he gave me a few resources to look at, um, one including Miracle of Forgiveness by uh, President Kimball. And, um, and then he said, now, Trevor, I, this, there's no place for homosexuality in the plan of salvation. There's, um, it just doesn't exist in God's plan of happiness. The, and, uh, and he's like, and you're, you're very aware of this now in order to lessen this, in order to, uh, allow God to work those miracles in you, you have to show God that you want those miracles that you want them to be lessened. Um, and the best way to do that is by aligning yourself with the gospel, aligning yourself with, um, the teachings of the church. And so he said, Trevor, I know with all my heart that if you were to go home, um, and within the next two weeks, read your book of Mormon, both morning and night and pray morning and night, um, that you come back to me at the end of those two weeks and you will see that your, um, desires and feelings for the same sex will be less. Um, and so I took up his challenge. I went home and for the next two weeks, I, um, read the, read the book of Mormon morning and night. And I prayed morning and night that God would help me, that we would lessen this and, came back to him two weeks later and said, it's still as strong, if not stronger than before. Um, what's going on? What, why didn't, why didn't it work? And he said, well, Trevor, what were your intentions? What, what were your intentions when you went and prayed and read the book of Mormon? Were you really trying with full purpose of heart? Did you have your whole heart into it? Did your, did you pray for the spirit to guide you? What were you praying for? Um, and mentioned to him what I, what I had done and, um, that I thought that I had tried the best that I could. I thought that I was doing it with real intent. I wasn't trying to be blight about this in any way, shape or form. I really wanted this gone. I wanted to be normal. Um, and he said, well, Trevor, um, I'm not sure if you had the right intentions, um, going into praying and reading the book of Mormon. I'm not sure if you, um, did all that you could during those moments, if you were really, grasping for the spirit. Um, and I remember him saying that he was very, he was, he was very loving. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to say anything bad about him at all because I do respect him a lot, but, um, he's, I basically, what I took from his conversation was if I am still having these feelings, if they're not less, it's because I haven't aligned myself with the gospel enough. I haven't done enough. Um, and I kept that with me my, the rest of my life. I, I still keep that. I still think about that. I still think, well, the reason I'm having these problems is because I, I'm not in, I, I haven't done enough. I haven't read my scriptures enough. I didn't, uh, pay enough tithing. Or I didn't, I didn't add enough to fast offerings. Um, and that I think was one of the most damaging things that the Bishop could have said. I, I'm not agreeing with what he said there, that it was the right thing to do. I know he meant to do it with the, you know, full purpose of heart to help me realign with the gospel. 
Um, but it just ended up, I just ended up taking that and it ate at me and I ended up, it, it ended up contributing to my depression and suicidal ideation. Um, the best things, but some of the bishops have told me some of the best things were Trevor, it probably won't go away in this lifetime. Um, or it's probably just not going to go away. Um, and that when bishops told me that this was after my mission that they told me this, it was hard to hear that because I was trying, I was doing everything that I was supposed to do to get rid of this. I was doing every iota. I was dotting every I, crossing every T and the bishop tells me it's not going to go away. That, um, it hurt initially. Um, but it was the best thing to say. It was the absolute best thing to say. Why? Because it's true. It's the truth. It's for me in my, my circumstance, it wasn't going to go away. It wasn't going to just, it was going to be a part of me. Um, and becoming aware of that honest truth within me. Um, now I look at it, it's helped me be more authentic. It's helped me, um, be more of me, figure out who I am, um, figure out what makes me happy. What makes me, what makes me get up and laugh in the morning, get up and smile. Um, and honestly, the thought of being with a man, um, the thought of having him as an, as a, as a spouse does it. Um, that's what gets me up and makes me feel like life is worth living. Uh, makes me feel happier about it makes me feel like uh, that maybe there's a chance that I will be at, at peace with myself. Um, so while it was hard at the time <laughs> to hear what the bishop said, it was the best thing that they possibly could have said. And those bishops that just offered love and support and said, Trevor, I love you. I want to know that you, I want you to know that I'm here for you. You come and talk to me whenever you need to. Here's my cell phone number. Here's my, you can text me at any time. I'll try to respond when I can. Those, those bishops, that was the most help that I could, that I could have ever asked for within the church was somebody who was willing to be there, be a, be a bishop, but be a friend. Uh, talk about your mission. When you left on your mission, um, did you make a deal with God, so to speak, that you'd be straight when you came back or was this part of the narrative of, um, really religious behavior for the goal of being straight? Um, it really was, um, I, I had full purpose and heart to be straight. And I, I hate saying that because I know a lot of people, you know, you go on your mission with, you want the, the intention to be, I'm going out to serve people. I'm going out to love people, which, which did happen, did, did that happen. Happened. That did happen. But I was also going with the intent that, you know, God was going to, I was going to see miracles happen in my life. I was going to be normal. Um, and so I did, I didn't make any deals with God that, you know, I would go, I'm going to go on my mission and I expect you to, honestly, I went on a mission. That's what I was supposed to do. And I, I love my religion. Um, and I knew that aligning myself with God was the, that was the plan of happiness. Um, so I did what I was supposed to do. Did you have increased sort of depression or some report kind of as they're finishing their mission or coming home that are have same sex attraction or gay and recognize those feelings didn't change that it hits them in a particularly harder way. And on a mission, sometimes it doesn't hit you as much because no one's dating mm -hmm. and you're just part of this brotherhood for a greater cause. Any thoughts on that in your personal journey? 
And my mission is when my, when deep depression started to set in. It did. Yeah. Um, and suicidal ideation. I, um, towards the end, towards the beginning, it was throughout. Let's see. First few transfers. I was a jerk. (laughs) I was not, I should, I shouldn't say I was a jerk. I was, um, not very friendly. (laughs) And, um, so I was just kind of, I, I wasn't letting anything affect me. I was trying not to at least get four transfers in. I mean, I've got companions that would laugh at that because there was this one time um, I got, so it was three transfers in or was it, it was my fourth transfer, my fourth transfer in. And I had, I was an English speaking missionary and they transferred me to a new area um, with a newbie English speaking, like American. And I had just come from a French speaking missionary. I, I had a, he was from France, from Northern France. And I was just like, well, I don't know how to speak French that well. Um, and I'm pretty sure my American friend here, my companion doesn't know how to speak French very well. And he turned to me and he was just, I remember one night when we were getting ready for bed and he said, I'm just so excited to be here and to, to learn French and to, um, to really practice with your guy, with you guys. And I looked at him and I was like, avec qui, which is like with who? With who are you going to speak French? And I just remember, I remember saying that. And he, he makes fun of me all the time for this. And I was so snarky. That's honest. I remember that. But, you know, my, my depression started soon after that. Soon after that. I started to, um, I just, I, kept, I continued to be attracted to my same gender. I continued to be attracted to even some of my mission, um, well, one of my commission companions in particular, but... Did you talk to your mission president about your same-sex attraction? I didn't. I didn't talk to my mission and president I don't about it. I think that's a sign of weakness. I don't criticize you for that. I just recognize that everybody's got to kind of figure that out. Yeah. Do you think, what percent of being depressed was tied into your sexual orientation? 100%, 80% of it? Um, it's kind of hard to answer it's, that because you hard. can't take that away I from think, you. Um, eight, I would say 80% my sexual orientation and 20% my um, my growing up, my childhood. So. That's helpful. Yeah. Um, talk about your, um, I'm going to bring you home for your mission now, Trevor. Thanks for your yeah. service. Um, thanks for serving a mission. Um, every And I hope our listeners recognize that Trevor has stepped away from the church. Um, and we did say a prayer before we went live that the spirit would be here of just understanding. Trevor's still part of the same human family and I don't think he's inviting other people to sort of leave the church. He's just saying this is his path right now. And um, and I think a lot of people are supporting Trevor in the sense we're just honoring his journey and want to help, help him continue to be the best person he could be and make the best decisions and move forward in his life. Um, now I forgot my question after <laughs> that preamble. <laughs> um, well, no, I think it's important to kind of illustrate that I, I definitely don't have a goal of deterring anybody from the church. That's not, that's not my purpose. And purpose is just that some people can choose the life that will make them the happiest and more at peace, most at peace with themselves. If that is, I know the church, um, suggests celibacy or entering into some mixed orientation marriage. If that, it, they, those are very difficult paths. They are hard. Um, but if that is the path that overall an ind- that individual feels most at peace, most ha- they feel fulfilled, 
the more power to them. That's that's their journey. That's our, their choice. And I I am in no way, shape, or form in a position to tell somebody how to live or what would make them happy. Um, it's really it, thoughtful. Yeah. One of my feelings as I meet with our LGBTQ members is is to de-shame them on being LGBTQ. And to, and so when you talk about having an attraction to a high school guy, I think five years ago as a YSA bishop, I would have tried to fix that. And I think I would probably be less likely to fix that and say, Trevor, that's just how you're wired. You can't feel shame for that. Um, I'd still invite you to keep the commandments of the church. I'd, I'd tell you there's probably no commandment that's been violated just by having um, a crush on somebody. Everybody has crushes. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you called it a crush, but, and so I've always felt like if we could, everybody's going to make better decisions if they're going to choose celibacy, a mixed orientation marriage or a same-sex marriage. They're all going to make better decisions if they're making that from a position of strength. And they're the very best person they can be and at the very best peace with their orientation. And and I and some would say, well, if someone's at peace with orientation and there's no shame, they're less likely to be on the celibacy road because they're going to choose what they would claim to be authentic and be in a same-sex relationship. And I'd say maybe, maybe not. I've met some people that are pretty authentic and pretty at peace with who they are with really owning that part of them with no shame, and it makes it easier to be on the celibacy road. And so that's just a general feeling. Um and like Trevor, this is going pretty slow. Is he? I don't think you have a boyfriend right now. Nope. Nope. I have gone on a few on a few dates, but and so um, talk about your decision to enter into a mixed orientation marriage. So um, my ex-wife. So we uh, we met in biology um, at UVU. This was oh so long ago, um, and. We, we were in the same group and we, um, and that was, I mean, I, I, I had known her. I knew she was single. I knew she was from Denmark. <laughs> um, but, uh, let's see. So I was feeling a lot of pressure from my family and bishops to start dating. Um, get out there. I hadn't been dating. I, I had one girlfriend in high school, but that was it. Um, and so I was just like, well, you know, I do have these attractions for men, but maybe that's just because I haven't exposed myself enough to women to really gain that attraction towards them. So um, I started thinking, well, who could I ask out on a date? <laughs> who could it be? Um, and this girl ended up inviting me to her mission call opening. And so I was driving down there um, to her house and I... I said to God, I was just like, okay, Heavenly Father, if this is a person you'd like me to date, I'll date her, but only if you send her to the same mission. <laughs> it was kind of, it's kind of like a cop out. Um, like I, I, he, you know, if she didn't get called to the same mission, one of the 300 some, some on missions, well, that's my sign. It wasn't her. Well, she did end up getting called to the same mission. Wow. <laughs> and so I was floored. I was like, this is my sign. Okay. That I made a deal with God on my way down there. And he said, this is the way to go. So I, I've got to do it now. And so I started dating her soon after that. Um, and it was on our third date or after we had, right after we had done our third date, that I told her. Now, is this still before her mission? It was still before her mission. Okay, so yeah. before her mission. Still before her mission. Her. We started dating in October. She left for her mission January 1st. Okay. Um, I told her late October, I said, Belle, 
um, I um, just want you to know that I struggle with same-sex attraction. Um, and she said uh, that she knew that she had seen it in a dream. Um, and that I was I struggled with same-sex attraction, and that she was okay with it. I said, "Why are you okay with it?" Um, and she said, um, she said, well, because I know we can work through it. We can, we can, um, heavenly father will bless us. If we, if we continue to live the gospel, heavenly father will bless us to make it work. And so I, um, I took that and I was, I was amazed. I was floored. So what kind of, you know, she was so mature, so willing to go into a, a mixed orientation marriage at the time we didn't know what that meant we didn't know what a mixed orientation marriage meant and she um she also made sure that I, I that i reassured her um that i told her no i definitely want to live the gospel i def this is what heavenly father wants for us um to be happy to be to be man and wife and um have kids and progress in the plan of salvation i knew i knew this and so i, I told her that i my testimony was firm and it was going to stay firm. Um, and so she went on her mission, wrote her faithfully throughout her mission. I became so good at missionary packages. Let me just tell you, I spent buttloads of money on these, on these missionary packages, but I went all out. They need to go in museums. Like I, I took pictures of each one and they would open up and I, I probably shouldn't admit this on uh, a podcast, but I put um, little fireworks, explosive, that you poppers in them. So when she would open them up, it would, um, pop and it would be a, a big surprise when she would open it up. It was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, but it's different. It was very easy for me to wait for her on her mission. I didn't have any interest in dating somebody else. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's so different being, you know, when you're physically together with someone compared to when you're just writing letters, um, she came home from her mission and we had talked about marriage while she was on her mission. And, um, I thought what would be good would be, cause we were just starting a new school year would be if I were to get engaged with her in November and then married in, uh, the spring at the end of the spring semester in May. Um, and I remember her par her parents talking to me and they said, no, Trevor, that's, uh, you'll end up doing something you'll regret if you wait that long. Um, little did they know. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, um, they, but they ended up, they suggested getting engaged in August and married in November instead. So she came home July. Um, we did end up getting engaged in August and married in November, which is very fast. Very fast is what I'm trying to get at. Um, but she knew the whole time she was aware with it. She, we didn't really bring it up. We didn't talk about it. Um, didn't feel that it was something we needed to talk about. If we were going to talk about anything, it was going to be the gospel. Um, we got married in the Payson Temple. Um, it was a beautiful day in November. And um, soon after that, we started trying for Abigail. Um, yeah, it was... Um, I, I we. This is 2019. What year were you married in? We were married in 2015. 2015. Yep. In November. November 2015. And um, it seems like both of you just wanted to do the right thing. 
Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's any intent on either part of you to harm or have a marriage end in divorce. And so I just share a lot of compassion with both of you. I think both of you, like any marriage in those first three years, made mistakes and things you regret. And I wasn't perfect, but I just recognize this was a marriage that was a good, founded on good faith and you were trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would never look back and say, what were you thinking? Or that's not fair. I just, it's easy for me to do, to be an armchair quarterback, if we call a football term. What's that? A Monday morning quarterback where we look back and say, what were you thinking? Or what was even she thinking if she knew that? And I just don't think that's fair. Um, it just seems like you were trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, kind of walk us in um, from the, just when things, your, it sounds, your emotional health obviously declined at some point and it led you to American Fort Canyon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, my emotional health was always staggering after my mission, um, going back and forth, talking to those bishops. Um, I, um, one bishop told me, um, right after that, I, that right after my mission, that this kind of a thinking was an addiction. I was addicted to it and that, um, the best way to get rid of these, homosexual feelings it'd be the same way anybody gets rid of an addiction you go to the 12-step program so i did start going to that 12-step program and i went to those 12-step meetings for about two years and i kind of think you know i I look back on it now and the individuals that i went to those meetings with probably rolled their eyes a little bit with what i was going through with what they were going through um but at the same time, I they were so authentic. They were so loving. And I don't think that they had any ill feelings towards me. I remember those meetings um, being some of the most authentic, genuine meetings I've ever been to. I thought this is what Sunday school needs to be like. Um, sharing that, being vulnerable in those situations. But you weren't suffering from an addiction. Not that I consider. <laughs> I, I don't believe we should compare sexual orientation to an addiction to me, sick addictions are things of the world that need to be overcome. I don't think the way you're, the way you're created, it, that doesn't take agency off the table. But I just don't think we should compare that with an addiction. Uh, I didn't. I, not not the one that I would consider. Again, this bishop was loving and he was trying his best. It sounds like um, you enjoyed some of the community there. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It, Those meetings were phenomenal. They were absolutely phenomenal. And I would suggest anybody, whether you have an addiction or not, to go to those meetings because they are so full of genuine people. That's helpful. Um, Yeah, talk about just what led to American Fort Canyon. So anyway, I would go to those meetings and I would go to, and I would read my scriptures. I got home. One bishop told me, well, you need more callings. You need to invest yourself more in the church. Um, I had six callings at once. Um, at one point it was so taxing oh my gosh um you know i was the ward organist i was sunday school president uh, not sunday school president i was sunday school, a sunday school teacher um for both the old testament which by the way i do not know the old testament very well and i learned that very quickly in that old testament class but <laughs> um and the i i was you know just a lot of callings including working in the temple um as a veil worker and I, um, I was just, I couldn't breathe in those moments. I was going to school. I was taking 18 credits at school. I was working full time, um, and trying to juggle all these callings. And I just, I, I, that's, 
I started to just think, well, maybe, you know, I, I'm trying so hard. I am trying so hard to make this work. Um, I'm trying to, to fight this. Um, and it just seems like God's not seeing me. Like he's, ha- I'm still attracted to my same gender. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing. Absolutely everything. Um, and I would go home and I would, I would sit there and I would cry every night and I would think, what more could I do? What have I not given yet? What have I not done to, to get rid of this? I would fast every Sunday. Um, I would, you know, I would, you know, 10%, I get 15% of tithing, um, fast offerings, all like every single fast Sunday. Um, and still, I, I still felt nothing different. Like there was nothing different. I, I would cry and cry and think that I would get somewhere and I would feel at peace. Trevor, it's okay. You're going to like, things will change. Things will get better. Things will get better. You just have to hope things will get better. And to me, in my mind at that point, getting better meant not having the same sex attraction anymore. Um, being where I'm at now, I can realize that being better for where I stand right now is accepting myself, um, accepting what will not change. Um, but at that point I tried so desperately to make things change, to make things work that that's what led to, that's what ultimately became pretty close to 100% of the reason I was depressed and suicidal. Um, I, you know, I was, I remember, um, I was trying to find support groups for, for my, for me specifically, because, you know, as great as Alcoholics Anonymous is, it wasn't dealing with same-sex attraction. So I went online and I found a group called North Star and I would, I, I never went to any of their meetings, too scared to go to their meetings. I didn't want the world to know that I was <laughs> struggling with this. Um, so I, I just read, a f- I just watched a few videos online Good. and one of the videos that I came to was a, it was just, just a guy, um, wasn't, wasn't a leader of this group or anything. He was just suggesting, just wait until you have a kid. Just wait until you have, you see your baby in your hands and you look into their eyes and you can understand the plan of salvation. And I kept that with me. I was like, just that, that moment, that moment when I look into my baby's eyes and I will say, I will be able to understand this is, this is the way, this is the right thing to do. This is what God wants me to do. So got married, um, had kids and it didn't happen that, that what I had hoped so, so great. I mean, I looked into my eyes and I love my kids. I immediately love my kids, that parental love. I, I felt it, but I still didn't feel the, that, that feeling, that confirmation that I was on the right path for me. And that was very hard. That was very hard, um, for me, um, as, um, I really expected it to happen. I really, I really did. Um, and, uh, so my, uh, it got, things got worse. Um, after having my second child, the second child was quite the surprise, by the way, we did not expect him, <laughs> love him to death, but did not expect him. Um, and, uh, I just, I, I just started at, right after we had my son, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, 
I couldn't do, I couldn't sit there and feel like I was hiding something, some part of me. Like I had some secret. I would look at everybody and everybody, everybody would always tell me, Trevor, you're so happy. You're so, you're, you're so great. You help out all the time. I said, you wouldn't like me if you knew who I really was. You wouldn't like me if you knew I had, I struggled with this. I thought about that all the time. You wouldn't like me if you, you really knew me. You wouldn't it's like me. It's a painful thing. Um, and, uh, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle, um, being like this anymore. I couldn't handle not feeling, um, that genuine love for my wife, um, that I had developed for somebody else. Um, which anyway, um, I couldn't handle, um, still being attracted to to the same gender, even though I had done everything that I possibly could think of to do. Um, and so, uh, I did end up, so if we're going to back up just a second in nursing school, while I was in nursing school, I did develop feelings for an individual, very strong feelings for an individual that I, I had never felt as strong feelings before. I know I talk about how I had a crush on my mission for, uh, um, somebody, but this, this was more than that. This was more than that. I've, I felt so elated to be around him. I felt, um, I felt like I belonged. I felt like around him. I felt like this was, it felt, ha I felt happy to be around him. I, I wanted to be around him. I thought about him all the time. And I had realized at that point that I had fallen in love with somebody and was my wife while I was married. And I couldn't believe that I had allowed myself to do something like that, that I had allowed myself to spend so much time with him because, you know, for so long I had felt so depressed, so down on myself. I hated myself and being around him, I didn't feel that anymore. I didn't feel like I didn't belong. I didn't feel like I didn't fit in. And so come July, so so my son was born in May um, and two months after that, I opened up to my ex-wife and I told her that I had developed feelings for this individual. Um, and all my feelings involved with that, my suicidal ideation, uh, everything. I, I opened up to her about everything. She was not happy. She was not happy and rightfully so. That's, I, this is, this is a very hard thing to do. I, I had to muster up all the courage in the world just to tell her um, what happened and nothing had happened with this individual. It's important. This is important for me to, to emphasize. Um, I hadn't, um, nothing romantic was happening on his part. He straight living the gospel. It was just, it was all on me. I had developed these feelings for this individual. Um, and so, so I, I, it's considered emotional cheating. So I had emotionally cheated on my wife. Um, that was very hard because she, and she said she, she, to her, um, emotional cheating was worse than physical cheating. And it was, um, very hard to cope with. And I couldn't, I had a hard time coping with it. I felt like a monster. I felt more like a monster. A lot of the things that I had gone through made me feel like a monster, but this made this, I didn't, I didn't deserve to live. I, um, it was just, I didn't feel like there was any joy in my life. There was going to be any joy in my life. Um, that I was, I was, I felt like I was taking away other people's joy 
just by being alive. Uh, people would be better off without me. Um, I'm like, like president Kimball said, I, you know, I was a pervert. Um, I, that's how I felt. Um, and so those thoughts just kept going through my mind over and over and over again. Um, and you know, I, I thought, well, I know I just got to think about something different. I just got to do something different, you know, find another hobby, do something else. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for somebody that's like that in, in that state of mind. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a complete, um, moment of shame, um, of doubt, of feeling unworthy, um, is absolutely ridiculously hard to go through. That's um, some of the hardest hardest moments of my life. We're we're in th- those months of June, July, and August. And um, August came around, and I told my ex wife that I thought that we needed a break for a, for a little bit, um, just so I could wrap my head around all that was going on. Um, I was going to live with my parents for a little while and then come back. I need, I told her I needed to go to therapy um, and to really try and work on some coping mechanisms um, with everything going on. Um, and so I went to a therapy session. Um, we, we separated for a time and I went to therapy um, and the therapist said, Trevor, I don't feel like it's safe for you to go back to your ex-wife at this moment, or your wife at this moment. It's my wife at the time. Um, and he said, uh, I'm prescribing that you go back to your parents for a little while longer just to, so you can cl- you have more time to clear your head and figure out what you really want in life. Um, and I thought, well, my wife's not going to like that. <laughs> um, like she, cause she didn't she thought, you know, I was going to be separated. We were going to be separated for maybe over the weekend. And that was, that was going to be it. Um, so I called her and I let her know, um, that I wasn't going to be, um, coming home. Like I thought that I was going to, and we got into an argument and I just, and I felt more like a monster after that argument. I just, I just, that was, that was, that was it for me. That was it for me. I I had destroyed too many people's lives. Um, and so I went up to, I started, I headed up AF Canyon. I remember I turned my phone off. Um, I put it in the uh, passenger seat, drove up AF Canyon and I was looking for, I was actually just, I was just going to drive off a cliff, but I couldn't find one that I knew for sure would work. So do you usually go up American Fort Canyon? No. Is this your, like a place that you know well and a place of meditation and solitude or is not, this, not really. So this is just this kind was of a just, new thing. This okay. was just, I, I, I had looked at, um, the mountains and thought, I, I thought about it. I thought about jumping off cliffs a, a lot. And so that's just where so I you went. Did kind of have a loose plan in your mind. Yeah, I did. I did. Okay. Um, and I remember the emotional pain at that moment being so, great so much that I couldn't feel any physical pain. I parked myself in the Timpanuki trailhead and started running up the trailhead. Running? Running. Are you a runner naturally? Nope. (laughs) Not even a little. I have run a few half marathons, but I am the one that finishes at three hours. (laughs) So, uh, but I started running up that trailhead, uh, up that trail. Um, 
I remember breathing very hard. Um, heart, I could feel my heart uh, beating faster than it's ever beat before. I remember um, getting scrapes and bruises as I climbed, tried to climb up rocks, but I didn't feel I need to stop. Um, Just during the afternoon, evening, morning? Evening. Evening. Sun's still out? Sun's still out. Um, I did not feel I need to stop at all. It was time to be done. I, it was, uh, I had, I had suffered for too long. I had tried my hardest and it didn't work out. I was still a monster. Um, and so I got to the top of that cliff and I, um, sat there, uh, and I looked down and I how remember, was this cliff? I don't know how many feet it was. I knew it would kill me if I, okay. if I dropped down. Um, cause I, like I told you, I was looking for the one that I knew for sure it would, it would work. I didn't, I didn't want to be, just be hurt and live. I wanted, I wanted it to be over. Um, and so I, um, I looked down and I remember, I remember expecting to be scared. I thought, well, maybe I'll get to that, to the, to that cliff and I'll look down and I'll be too scared to do it. I'll like, it won't, I, I, I just, I won't go through with it. Um, but I, I remember looking down and the bottom actually felt warm and welcoming. It felt like it would all finally be over. Um, I wouldn't have to deal with these emotions anymore. Nobody would have to deal with me anymore. Um, I wouldn't be a scar in the church. I wouldn't be, um, I would, I, it would be over. Um, and you know, I, I had prayed before I prayed to heavenly father before I said, heavenly father, please just let me go. I don't, I don't want the spirit world. I don't want anything. Just let me go. Um, and it, and it never happened. And so at that point, I was just like, well, maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. Um, and I remember sitting up there. I sat up there for probably a good two, three hours. And Did you see anybody the whole time? No. No. Nobody was there except me. And Heavenly Father, I want to say he was there. <laughs> and um, and that Your phone's still back in the car. Phone still back in the nope. That's not that's not true. My phone was with me. I had taken a video. Um, it was a goodbye video. I took a goodbye video, and I was I didn't I don't know if anybody was going to find it, but I uh, I was just going to leave it to where I where I jumped off and then jump off. Who was the goodbye video to? Um, to my family, to um Abigail and Sam, to whoever wanted to watch it. It was it was my goodbye video. And I sat up there and I, I, um, I remember asking Heavenly Father, I said, Heavenly Father, if you're going to talk to me, now's the time. Um, but if not, then I guess this is it. It's, um, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and I didn't start thinking more positively until for a while I um, I was still praying, uh, still trying to figure things out. So I was looking at the scenery, trying to figure out if there was anything, anything at all, um, that would keep, would be willing to, would be worth it to stay. Um, and with the way I felt, um, I didn't, I didn't think that anything was worth it. You know, I, I know my kids, um, but I thought, you know, they don't, they don't just, 
They don't need a dad that was going to be gay. They don't need a dad that was going to be against what they're learning in the church. Um, that would, uh, they don't, they don't need to grow up in a life like that. Um, and then it hit me just, it was a small, subtle thought. Um, but it was just Trevor, it's okay to be who you are. Um, still have a lot of good to do. Um, and I thought about that and I thought, what, 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 (laughs) um, and I kept, I kept repeating it in my mind, Trevor, it's okay. It's okay to be who you are. It's okay. It's okay to accept you. Um, and I kept repeat. I, like I said, I kept repeating that and I kept thinking, what does that mean? Why, why would I be thinking that now after having all of these thoughts that I can't live this way, that this way, this way of living is not the right thing to do for me? Why would I be thinking that it's okay to be who I am now? Why? I do believe that it was divine inspiration that Heavenly Father was trying to talk to me. Um, but even if it wasn't Heavenly Father, even if it was my heart that was speaking to me, I'm glad it did. I'm glad Heavenly, Heavenly Father spoke to me. Whatever brought those thoughts into my mind, I'm grateful for it. Um, because then I started to question, maybe it is okay to be me. Maybe it is okay to be attracted to the same gender. Maybe that, maybe that's how I was born. Uh, maybe, um, maybe that's my ticket to happiness. Maybe that's something worth living for, um, to wake up and be with somebody that I can, I want to spend my life with, that I'm happy to spend my life with, um, look forward to seeing them, not roll my eyes when I get a text, (laughs) but, but truly love my life with them. Um, and then I thought, well, what does that, what does that exactly mean? <laughs> that means getting a divorce. That means going through the heart, that heartache means having my kids grow up with divorced parents. And I thought, well, maybe it'd be, it'd be better to have a, have a dad than to have no dad. <laughs> um, and maybe I can still, still be a good dad to them. Um, and I, I felt that peace. I, I really did that. It was okay to be me. I felt warm. I felt like I, a smile crossed my face in my darkest moment and a smile crossed my face. Um, and I got off the cliff. I stepped off and I, walked back down and started to, and the pain started hitting me from my, my run up felt all the scrapes and the bruises. And I felt that I had worked overworked my lungs. Um, and, but that, that those feelings were again, overpowered by a feeling of peace, um, contentment. I wouldn't say, necessarily happiness at that point, but definitely peace, um, and comfort and, and love most, most importantly, I felt, I felt loved by my heaven, by my heavenly father. I felt loved. Um, and so I, 
took that, took the, took what I learned from the mountain with me. Um, and it was a long, it was a, the next, the few months after that were very hard. Um, working with my ex-wife, um, working through the divorce, um, it was all very, very hard. Um, but I started to open up to more people realizing that I couldn't do this alone. Um, heavenly father is great. And that mountain is great. And those feelings are great, but I needed somebody I could call and talk to who was going to be right there and be a, a good support for me. I started opening to family members. I opened up to friends. I opened up to, um, I opened up to everybody that I could, um, that, that I felt deserved it, or I shouldn't say deserved. That's a bad word. I felt would appreciate it, would, would at least would be, would be willing to help me. Um, not somebody who, who I thought was going to just take it for granted. And yeah, I got, I got mixed, um, emotions from it, from, from the, from those people. Most of them that I talked to that were strong, active members of the church were said, I don't understand it. Um, I'm not going to claim that I do. Um, but I want you to be happy. Um, and if this is what you need to be happy, then I'll, then I'll support you. And I was floored by that. I, that's not something that I expected. I expected people to tell me I was a monster. I expected to tell me that I was doing the wrong thing, that I was, um, that I was going against everything that I knew to be true. That's what I expected. I expected people to hate me for this. And I got the exact opposite. Uh, I told people about my story and they loved me all the more. Um, they said, Trevor, I love you even more now. Um, because you shared this and I know that's not everybody's story. I know that's not how it, how it goes for everybody, but for that's what happened to me. And I, I was shocked. I, every time, every time I would open up, um, to get their support, um, and they would check in on me and that was something that I had never experienced before in, in my life. Cause I did, I had to, I told my dad right soon after my mission that I, ex, I was experiencing same sex attraction and he was, he was very, he was very nice about it. He tried to empathize with me and it's kind of funny cause I, I joke about it cause he, the way he tried to empathize with me, he's like, well, I, I understand. I, I get it. Um, guys are easier to talk to there. Um, you can relate with them a little bit more. Um, and I, I, th I thought that was really funny because my dad actually has been pretty homophobic most of his life. But for him to say something like that, and then he gave me a blessing. Um, but then we didn't talk about it after that. He, um, so to have people that I opened up to after my experience um, check in on me and to see how I was doing was so different. How's your relationship with your dad now? Oh, I think it's better than it's ever been. Um, you guys recently hiked. Mount yeah, we went, Tempanogos we went together. to the top of Mount Tempanogos just a couple weeks ago. Way um, to go, dad. I think you're in your fifties or sixties. I'm not <laughs> sure I could do that. Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. Um, and we, we talked, we opened up, we were vulnerable to each other. We, um, shared good feelings. Um, it was a wonderful experience. I was very grateful for that. Um, and I think more of those types of uh, experiences need to happen. I, 
um, I see a lot of people in the, in the community, LGBTQ community, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people in the community like to play the victim. And in some ways they are the victim. Um, but because of that, uh, playing the victim, it creates a division. Um, and there's some resentment that can happen between you and who the, the, the LGBTQ person and whomever they feel are the perpetrators. Um, and I see that a lot with family members. Either the family members hate the LGBTQ family member or the LGBTQ family member is upset with the, the others. But creating positive experiences helps open up that we're just normal. We're just normal people. We're just li- trying to live our lives. We're doing just like everybody else, trying to be happy, trying to make this life work. And you've got a good relationship with your mother, Leanne. Oh yeah. I think I noticed she shared your Facebook post. And- yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's awesome. We like to go out to lunch together, and um, and we and since opening up to her about all of this, we've become closer as well. Um, it's amazing what being vulnerable and being willing to share our stories. It's amazing just what power that has. Um, instead of trying to create a facade that we're all just perfect. It's, it's not true. It's not true. We can be vulnerable. Um, a mother sent me this quote. She has a, she's an LDS mother and she talks about the role of Satan. Um, and our listeners may or may not agree with this, but this is her comment. I don't believe Satan's work is to deceive people into being LGBTQ. Instead, Satan takes these pressed children of God and tells them they are worthless. He tells them um, there's no place for them. He tells them God no longer loves them. He resides in their shame. Satan also resides in our fears, knowing that our fears will hinder our ability to truly love. His goal is to tear family apart and drive people away. He is succeeding, not because this group has been deceived, um, that they are now gay trans. He's succeeding because they are keeping us from coming together as the body of Christ and and loving with pure lo- Christ-like love. We could do better to help heal these members who are hurting and feel they have no place with us. Every member is vital. Without them, we cannot function as a church to its fullest potential. Um, the answer to overcoming Satan is strengthen families and bring people to Christ is, is love. I realize some of that doesn't apply to your story because you've gone through a divorce, but I, I do agree that um, Satan wants to make you feel like you're a monster. I don't think that came from God. Um, Satan wants you to reside in your shame, and he's and he tears us apart when we reside in our shame. So I believe Satan's really wants to destroy us, but sometimes I recognize. Not for your fault, but culturally what we've done to you and the message you've heard and how you feel about yourself. Um, no one should feel they are a monster. And I recognize that's how you felt, um, as you so bravely shared on this podcast, Trevor. But I love the personal revelation you got, and I just honor that. And I love the general responses you've gotten from your parents, from family, and from friends. I love the empathy we don't understand. But, you know, if that's the road you choose, you have our support. And just that then people love you for who Trevor is. You don't have to be something you're not. Um, any more thoughts on that? Um, yeah. Um, I just, I look at it and, um, and all that, that, that I had gone through, um, trying so hard and, um, trying to 
to love the way that I just wasn't built to love. Um, I think love is, love is, um, God is love. God is love. That is what we hear all the time. God is love. Mm-hmm. You're, I, I agree with you hundred percent. He's not shame. He's not, um, he's not sitting there trying to tell me I'm a monster. He's not sitting there trying to tell me I'm a pervert or anything like it. Um, he's trying to tell me that I'm loved. Um, and that for exactly who I am, um, for the person that I am and that he sees my potential, that if I learn my talents, learn what he has endowed me with, I can become who he wants me to become. Um, and I just think such a, such a blessing to, to think, to, to realize that now that God loves me as I am. And he sees me as something greater in the future. You know, I, I have, I have, I'm, I'm, the sky's the limit. I, I can become anything that I want to become. I can be who I want to be. I am the author of my own life. And I get to choose the ending. I get to choose how my life goes. Um, and so far, um, do I regret? Do I regret what I've done? Do I regret um, getting married and having my kids and being where I'm at today? I, it's, a, it's a hard question. That's a hard question. Um, because... I would say, you know, if I were to accept myself earlier on, I would not have known the all of the lessons that I have learned. I would not have uh, gained as much as many experiences that I and I can now empathize with other people that are going through depression and suicidal ideation and be there and hold their hand and say it's going to be okay. I wouldn't be able to do that with understanding behind my eyes. Um, that said, I, I, there would have been a lot of pain avoided had I been able to accept myself a lot or sooner. Um, it wouldn't have been as hard to be in a, to go through a mixed orientation marriage and to go through those kids, go through having kids. And I love my kids to death, but it's, it's hard when you, when you have these types of challenges, I'm not trying to diminish anybody else's experience. And I think if people can make mixed orientation marriages work, I applaud them. Good, good for them. It just was my experience. Um, I just want to make sure that people understand um, that was something that I didn't understand when I entered my mixed orientation marriage. It is hard. It is a daily fight. Um, and it's a struggle. It, it's... But if, but if that's the way you want to live, if that's what you choose and you can be happy and feel fulfilled with it, more power to you. I, I'll support you. Um, stay in the church if you want to stay in the church. And, and that's what makes you feel fulfilled. That's what makes you feel happy. That's what's going to ultimately bring you the most peace in your life. More power to you. I support you. Just, I just want to make sure that whoever's listening and whoever's struggling that they're doing it for them, that they're doing it because that's what, that's what they, they believe will bring them the ultimate happiness, that they truly feel that that is who they are. Um, because I, I lived for so long trying to be somebody I'm not, and that was not working out for me. That did not work out for me. Um, 
And I'm so grateful to be at where I'm at now. I can't tell you where I, I, I don't go, I don't cry anymore when I go to sleep. I go to sleep and I think, I think about my job. I think about the stresses of my job. I think about, um, I think about what I've got to, what, you know, my next, oh, I've got to do the CCRN exam. Um, I think about, oh, I should go play piano a little bit more. I need to, I need to go write another song or, um, I think about my kids. I don't think about me being a monster. I don't think about that. I should, I don't, I don't deserve to live. I think about normal things because I, I've accepted, well, and I'm coming to accept me and to love me and to figure out what makes Trevor, Trevor, um, instead of trying to live my life based off of other people's statements. Um, I'm not going to live my, I, I don't want to live my life for somebody else anymore. I want to live my life for me. Um, and that's what I, that's where I found most, most peace. Why did you do that Facebook post? So, um, I'm really glad you did. Um, but, um, this summer of 2019, um, roughly a year after you didn't die by suicide, you did a Facebook post and there's even a picture of a cliff. It, it's the cliff. Post, the cliff. <laughs> it's it's the a big cliff. cliff. Yeah. Um, and I thought the Facebook post was great. Why did you do that? I, first off, uh, there's power, there's heal, heal, power and healing and sharing our stories. Um, and being able to share that helped, helped me kind of gather my thoughts and realize all that I have learned in this, um, in this scenario and in, in my life but also to let people know that we're hiding like me, that we're trying to, trying to fight a struggle that they didn't want anybody else to see, but they're not alone. Uh, I, I've been there. I, I know what, I know what it's like. And there are many of us that go through this, that are struggling currently. Um, and to bring awareness to those that don't really understand um, what people in the LGBTQ community go through. And granted, I don't think my post is just, it just relates to the LGBTQ community. I, I think agree. it relates to people with depression and suicidal ideation, people who are going through hard times. Everyone experiences some snippet of my post. And I think it helps many of those people, but mostly it helps kind of bring an understanding. Were you surprised to the reaction of the post? Because oh, I read yes. through the post... It was shared. There were so many comments. It was just an incredible amount of love and support. Did that surprise you? I was very surprised. I was I was floored. Um, the outpouring of love, not a single negative comment. Um, there was, I think, there was one comment where it talked about, well, it was pretty clear in the black in the Bible. It's pretty black and white. And I just thought, well, if that's, I, I don't, I don't agree. But if that's the way you want to be, if that's the way you believe, that okay. I love you all the more for it. Thank you for sharing. Uh, but other than that, it's been mostly positive, positive, positive. And I've been so grateful for that. So grateful. I've received a lot of private messages. Yes, a lot of people aren't going to open up right. in the public forum. And um, there there have been a, a few private messages where I, where I was like, oh, okay. But um, the, there have been other private messages where I was so grateful that I posted what I did. Um, there was, I, and I don't want to, 
out anybody or say anything that would, but there were, there were some individuals that said that they were going to commit suicide later that month, but they're not going to do it anymore Good, because they read my post and they have a little bit more hope that, Good. that life is worth living. Um, I had one individual that said that he struggled so much, um, that he went up, he went up the same Canyon, um, and did something that he was, it was about to do something that he regrets that he would have regretted, but, um, decided not to, and came down and read my post and that he feels, he feels like I, th- every single one of them have said they feel more hope. They feel, they feel like maybe happiness is still in their, in reach. And I think that's what people in my situation just want to know. That happiness is, is in reach. There is happiness. There is hope to be had. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not going to stay dark forever. But when you're in those moments, it's hard to see that. It's hard to, it's hard to realize that. I'm just touched by what you're sharing with us, Trevor. And I think our listeners are too. It takes a lot of courage to write about it, to share this, to bring us up on that cliff, to understand how you're feeling, to use the own words out, out loud. Monster. To say that out loud, just talk about how you feel about yourself, takes a lot of courage. And so on behalf of our listeners, just thanks for being so honest and so vulnerable and so courageous and um, and choosing to live. And I'm glad Heavenly Father talked to you. I'm glad he continues to talk to you and you've kept him in your life, I assume. And I, one of the models of suicidality, if that's a word I'm not clinically trained, is these three circles. And I've shared them before, um, sort of to see if someone's at risk for suicide. And one is the feeling of not belonging is one circle. And the second circle is I'm a liability to my family. And the third one is um, a predisposition for risky behavior. And and there's certain, I don't know about the third one for sure for you, because um, you're a pretty thoughtful guy. But I think everybody needs to feel like they belong. Um, that seems to be something the doctrine of Christ would want everybody to feel, that they belong and who they are as a needed member of society. And whether they're straight or gay or trans, that they're who they are as a needed member of society, a needed member of our families, and as best we can do in our congregations. And that no one's a liability, <laughs> that no one should think that um, anybody would be better off with them not living. And I realize, to me, that's a lie of Satan. I do believe in Satan, um, but I believe he feeds us lies like that. Um, so thank you for just being alive. And I think of what we do is, I, I've really tried to figure out what's the right counsel to give LGBTQ people. And if I were your YSA bishop, you know, you're, I guess you're still YSA age. Um, and I realize I'm not your bishop, but I think I'm really nervous to prescribe people's paths. I'm, I'm okay kind of inviting people or reminding people the doctrine of the church and inviting them to continue to follow that. But I probably would let people, especially LGBTQ, to a term a therapist taught me is self to help them self-determine their path. Um, that they feel is best working for them, and I would invite them to be the very best they can be, um, be the very best you can be from a personal standpoint and make decisions based on um, decisions of strength where your personal best and stay close to Heavenly Father. Um, and I think you're doing that. Um, I really admire, and I think 
I would never be, I know you've got a divorce and probably a complicated relationship with your ex-wife and there's regret and pain there, but gosh, Trevor, it seems like you just tried to do the best you could. You know, and I have to think Heavenly Father here would, yeah, he probably reminded both of us of our weaknesses and our setbacks and our sins, but I think he'd be awfully kind to you and just say, Trevor, you've just tried to do the best you can. Um, boy, you you went on that mission, you you prayed, you really did everything you could, and I think he'd just be so glad that you're alive, and um, he would not call you a monster. I think you know that now. I think he'd call you, I think part of our doctrine is every one of us is a beloved children, child of God. Every one of us is a beloved child of God. And I think he'd just remind you that, tell you because of that, you're of immense worth. And I know I'm speaking to you across the table, but I'm also talking to you out, out there, you listeners. And I think he'd say that to all of us. And he'd remind you that nothing you can do can take you outside of God's love. He will always love you. And he always wants you to talk to him. And he always wants you to keep him in your life so he can continue to guide you on your path. doesn't mean I'm taking commandment keeping off the plate or whatever, but it's just, I believe that's our doctrine. <laughs> um, um, I think Elder Gay taught that in his conference talk in 2018. Um, as a wonderful example. So any final things you'd like to share with our listeners? I love, I love the word hope, by the way, Trevor, and I love that everybody deserves to have hope. And maybe that's one of the greatest gifts we can give to each other is to bring more hope into another person's life. Um, I look at Christ's ministry and it seems like everybody he was around, he brought more hope and he gave them just a little more peace and a little more feeling they're okay especially those that had the hardest road and were the most marginalized and even the woman taking an adultery. And um, I love what your friends do. They don't judge you. They just say, you know, our job, our doctrinal job is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And we're just going to leave your station with God like we should everybody. Sometimes we put gay people under more of a microscope and we go pretty quickly to behavior. Why we just should leave all, all of that behavior stuff um, at the feet of the Savior and just try to do the very best we can to love. Any closing thoughts or anything, as I've said, that you're a little uncomfortable with that you'd like to share? Just Nothing that I'm uncomfortable with. I definitely, um, I agree, though. I, you know, if I, if I could give the, the listener who's, who was in my, who's in my shoes, Good. who was in my shoes, a little bit of hope um, that it gets better. You know, and whatever that means for you, it does. Life is worth living. Um, it may not seem like it now. It may, and it may not seem like it tomorrow, but it gets better. Um, Heavenly Father, and uh, I have a I have a really hard time talking about Heavenly Father okay. uh, because. I feel really, I feel a real personal connection with him and I, and I definitely don't want to um, disgrace his name in any way, shape or form, but, um, or to, to take his place and say, and say, this is what heavenly father wants for you. But 
I do believe that Heavenly Father wants us to feel loved and feel hope and feel that life is worth living. I don't, I do not feel that it was Heavenly Father that brought me up to that cliff. Or maybe it was so that I could, I could hear those words. Either way, to anybody who's listening, I'm going to give the same advice. I gave, I gave it on my post, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it to everybody else. It's okay to be who you are. Um, you have a lot of good to do in this world and you are loved. If not, if not, if by no one else, you're loved by me <laughs> and Richard, you're loved by Richard too. True. <laughs> We've done a couple podcasts with kids of gay parents, um, parents that came out in their marriage and those marriages ended. And these are adult children at this point. Um, and they've been really, and yeah, the marriages ended and the parents went their separate ways, but the kids have grown up, um, some really great kids and they have relationships with both parents. Um, one of the gay dads even was on the podcast was with his adult son. His adult son's an active member of the church. The dad is not. And I just, I love those podcasts cause there's differences there. Um, but they're, they're still family, and they've kept the family circle together. And so I kind of say that to you. Not, I don't know if you need it, but just I have great hope for your relationship with your kids and that you have some great paydays ahead of you as a father as you see your kids, along with your former wife's um, love and support, raise great kids. And they're going to be okay, and you're going to have a great relationship with them. And, and they may be really proud of their gay dad. Um, and who you are and what you have accomplished. And I look at that as a maturing of society where a straight kid can be really proud of a gay dad. And a couple of these podcasts I've done were just like that. So that's hope. And I'd want to give you that hope. And that to me is just our responsibility to keep families together and, um, and how beautiful that is when we keep families together and, and your relationship with your kids to me will be a real highlight for you. Um, so thank you, Trevor Searle, for being on a podcast with us and your courage to share your story. And you're right, you have a great life ahead of you. And I love your message to our listeners of hope and and bringing hope to other people. But you're going to bless a lot of people's lives. You already have. Um, and your life seems to be pretty focused on other people. Um, the people you help through your career, your friends and others. So you're a healer and you bring hope. And I think that's part of your mortal mission. And I think um, you'll do a lot of that over the course of your life. And thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.